Going, we have almost finished, I say almost finished, our series in the book of Jonah. Um, Jonah is only four chapters. It is a small little book, but there is much to learn, much to glean from the book of Jonah. And at the beginning of the series, we did something that we read the entire book of Jonah. I'm going to almost do that again, so don't check out as I begin to read. I want us to hear God's word afresh. It was about five or six weeks ago when we began the series on Jonah, and I want to hear God's word afresh for us now that we've gone through the book of Jonah, now that we've preached four different chapters, at least four sermons in the book of Jonah. I think it's helpful for us now to reflect back on and say, God, what do you have to show to us as a church? Lord, what would you reveal to us as a church? How can we respond? If God's word is, is meant for us to hear it and to respond to it, that is the question that all of us need to be asking today. Is, Lord, how would you have us now respond? In light of Jonah, And in light of God's sovereignty and his mercy that we see all throughout the book of Jonah that we have seen week after week, Lord, how would you have us respond? God, what is your heart that you make evident in the book of Jonah? So I want you to read and and read along. If you don't have a Bible, please look on with somebody beside you. I've not put them up on the overheads on purpose because I want you to hear God's word for you as if God is speaking and reading this word to you today. Not because... I am somehow God, but because God's word is living and active and it is sharper than a two-edged sword. So we're going to read chapter one and two of Jonah. We're going to skip, I'm sorry, we're going to read chapter one of Jonah. We're going to skip chapter two, which is Jonah's response. And then we're going to see chapter three and four of Jonah and, and then dive in to see, Lord, what is your heart for us? How should we respond to the book of Jonah? So this is God's holy word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who has made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. 
and laid not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then in chapter 2, we have the account of how Jonah was his, in his final breaths. He's sinking to the bottom of the sea, and, and he cries out, and God mercifully rescues Jonah. And, and chapter 2 is kind of Jonah's testimony of that. And then we see as soon as he is vomited back up onto the shore, in Jonah 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God." Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, "'Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country?' That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so he was faint and he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would hear and see your heart 
in the book of Jonah. God, I pray that as we see and hear your heart in the book of Jonah, you would change our hearts. And you would give us a heart to go. You would give us a heart of compassion. You would give us a heart of your mercy. You would give us a heart that seeks to take your word to evil people. Lord, would you show us your heart and would you change our hearts? God, my words are feeble. Our minds are feeble. Our abilities are feeble. But Lord, you are great. So God, we look to you. We ask for you. I ask for your Holy Spirit not only to fill me, but to fill each and every person here this morning. Would you bring your revival as we see your heart and see who you are? Would you change us and would you change the world by your word? God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you look around the world today, it's not a really rosy picture. If, if you read the news too much, it'll get you down. There's, there's a lot of bad news out there. In fact, I think the news is mostly bad. There's violence in the headlines. There's been, that past year alone, there's been school shootings that seem to have increased. There's shootings in churches and synagogues where people will target it specifically based on ethnicity. There's fighting around the world in Syria and, and Iraq and Somalia and Yemen and Libya and Niger and other countries around the world are threatening war. There's a threat of nuclear war this past year with uh, North Korea. It's, it's not too far gone when they were lobbing missiles over top of Japan. It's kind of a threat, not a, not a very veiled threat. There's trade wars currently. There's terrorists, people fearing financial instability and recession. Violent crimes and abuse, they're in the headlines all the time. Our own country seems to be divided. There's, there's angry insults being lobbed at whatever party you're not a part of, whatever group you're not you don't identify with. Everybody's blaming everybody else for what they think is currently wrong. People look for answers, they blame other groups. The problem's not us, that's them. Other people look for solutions in, in government or political systems. And, and as we've seen, that's, that doesn't seem to be the answer. It only seems to be polarizing us more. Our nation, the world seems as divided as ever. So what's the answer? How do we address these issues? Is the Bible relevant today? Is Jonah, a book written well over 2,800 years ago or so, is, is that relevant for us today? Is, 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 the, is the book of Jonah and the heart that God shows for the world, is that relevant to us? As, if we've gone through the book of Jonah, I, I hope that you have seen that the answer is a resounding yes. But you know, when I look around me, the temptation is to go somewhere where there won't be any of these issues. You ever have that temptation? I just want to go somewhere where there's not all these issues in the world, where the world's not just a mess. You know, just, just turning off the news feed, turning off social media, turning off all those things, it doesn't make the problems go away. We can stick our fingers in, in our ears, we can ignore problems, we can ignore issues, but it doesn't make them any less. I mean, when I was growing up, I, I, as a kid, I thought, you know, my dream, I want to go somewhere in, I don't know, Montana, Wyoming, somewhere where the big open skies. I'm going to get a cattle farm, and I'm just going to, we're just going to live off the land, and that'll be fine. That, that's the answer, really, you know? That didn't work out, obviously, and I don't know that that's, that would have solved anything anyway. Recently, in, in the news, there was the, the huge lottery, the thing, Mega Millions lottery, and there was over, close to $2 billion lottery one. Anybody here think about buying a ticket when you never had before? You can raise your hand. It's okay. The Bible doesn't say you've sinned if you've done that or thought about that. 
You know, but there's something in us that we want to escape, right? And so we look at something like that, the lottery to escape, because I think all of us identify with this. We just want to check out from the mess, right? We don't want to check out from the problems. We want to get away from this mess. We want to create a little utopia where all the problems and the problem people won't be around. You have any problem people in your life, by the way? You have neighbors who hate you? I've had neighbors who really hate me before. I mean, really hate me. So much so that they yell things out at my kids in the backyard. I've had, I've had people just not like me because I'm a Christian before. You ever had that happen to you? And you think, I just want to get out of here, you know? I just want to go where it's just going to be me and my family. You ever, I had this dream, you know, I want to go, what would I do if I had the Mega Millions, you know? I want to go where maybe I can go and live on a deserted island and it'll be, it'll be peaceful there. But an island that's not either too hot or too cold where it doesn't rain too much and there's not any hurricanes, no earthquakes... You gotta be really careful about what kind of island you dream of, right? Because you aren't really safe on an island. And so, okay, I want to be on a safe island that's high enough that we're not going to hit by winds and all, everything's going to be perfect. And, you know, then there's no natural disasters. Everybody's just going to leave us alone. We can live off the land and then we'll be fine. But that's really delusional, isn't it? A few years ago, there was a, a movie by M. Night Shyamalan called The Village. And it was a whole movie was about these people checking out of society and thinking it would get better. And they realized, no, the problems were within, in their own hearts. Let me ask you, how, how about you? What kind of utopia would you make? What, what do you want to do? When you see all these problems, see these issues around you, where, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What's your response? I think as Christians, we can be tempted to be insular, right? We can be tempted to say, you know what? We're going to create a protective little environment, a little bubble, and we're going to live in that, and we're just going to keep to ourselves. If you could pick an ideal spot, if you could pick a place to retire, somewhere to get away where you wouldn't be bothered by the people, where, where would you go? Where could you live as, if, as you wanted? You know, as appealing as that idea for us is, I think the book of Jonah says that's, that's not really what God has in mind. If Jonah was... was in a land that was not very comfortable at the time. He was in Israel. He was under the reign of Jeroboam II. And there were problems all around. The nations all around were warring. There was all kinds of issues. And what did God call him to do? He didn't say, hey, Jonah, you know what? You've done a great job. Jonah, I used you to expand the borders of the kingdom of Israel through Jeroboam II. Even though he's a sinful guy, I used you to expand these borders. And so you know what, Jonah? Now you can take it easy. It's not what he's, he's done with Jonah. And Jonah was surrounded by this world who wanted to wipe the people of Israel out. And, and the worst of the worst were the Assyrians. We saw back in chapter 1 of Jonah, the Assyrians, they hated Jonah, and they wanted to wipe him out. They went, not Jonah, but specifically, but the people of Israel. So what does God do? God sends him to go and, and take his message to the hardest place. Jonah, God told Jonah to go to the worst, to Nineveh, the heart of the empire. And so we saw that it wasn't surprising that, that he fled, right? What would you do? You know, if, if you're sent to the worst of the worst. So Jonah, he flees, and it's not surprising he flees. And one could wonder, though, you know, hey, why in the world, God, did you pick Jonah? You, you ever think that as you're reading through the book of Jonah, yet, or you're listening to the account of Jonah, you're thinking, why Jonah? Why God Jonah, you know? There were other prophets, Hosea and Amos. They seemed to be a little bit more reliable. Why didn't you pick them instead? Instead, God picks this guy who he knew wouldn't obey him, or who would obey him really feebly and badly. And then God had to rescue him time again. He had to draw a storm, had to create a storm to draw him back to himself. And then after he creates the storm and Jonah supposedly repents, and he does it really self-righteously, by the way. You know, those, those people 
who worship idols, that doesn't end well, but God, I, I'm going to worship you. And then he, he seems to repent, but then he only really wants to preach the message of condemnation and judgment. He doesn't really want them to turn. And so Jonah gets really angry. That's what we've seen all throughout this book. He's reluctant. He's selfish. He's self-righteous. He's fickle. Weren't there better candidates? I mean, the dude disobeyed right away, right? He was stubborn. He only responded when he was about to die, and then his confession was self-righteous, and he gets angry when things don't go his way. He justifies his own anger. He justifies his selfishness, self-righteousness. You ever, you ever think maybe we're a little like Jonah? You ever think that maybe God chose Jonah because he knew that most people can relate to Jonah better than those prophets who are faithful? Jonah's more like you and I than we care to admit. Jonah values his own comfort in the ship. He values his own comfort when he's sitting outside the city of Nineveh. God takes him to task, brings him up short with a question that reveals his heart in the very end. Maybe that's why God picked Jonah. Maybe God picked Jonah in the story of Jonah for people who don't always obey. Even God's people who don't always obey. God's people who are a little bit fickle. God's people who are a little bit selfish and self-righteous and want to go away from it all. Can you identify with Jonah yet? Anybody here identify with Jonah at all? Maybe Jonah was picked because God wanted us to see ourselves in Jonah. He didn't have God's heart for the Ninevites. That was his problem. He didn't see from God's perspective. He didn't have God's heart for the lost. He didn't have God's heart for people who really needed him, who were lost and dead in their sins. How about you? Sometimes that desire to get away from it is all because we, we might not have God's heart for the lost. We might not have God's heart for why he's put us here and the compassion, the grace, and the mercy he's shown to us. I think, I think the book of Jonah is meant to teach us some things about God's heart for the lost and, and there's three areas that we're going to look at that that show us God's heart from the book of Jonah. This is, this is not our typical message. We're, we're, we're kind of doing a recap of things on purpose because I think God has things to show us here. And the first thing that we're going to see is that God's heart, it's, it's one that judges evil. Now, you might think that's kind of funny. How, how, does that, how is that helpful for us to see? God judges evil. How is that, how is that helpful for us to see that, that God has a desire to judge evil? Why is that good for us? Well, think about it for a second. If there was a judge in Greenville County and there was someone who came into our church and he shot a bunch of church members, it's not a far-fetched thing. I'm not trying to create fear, but those things happen. And that judge went to convict this man, but he didn't really want evil to be punished. And he said, you know, that's okay. This man will get off. I'm not going to charge him because it's not a big deal because those are Christians and, and he didn't want to see justice happen. That would be wrong. It would not be comforting, right? It would be discomforting, disquieting. It should make us wonder, wait a minute, can we really trust? And so when we see God's heart at the very beginning of Jonah, what does God say to Jonah? God shows him in, in verse 1 and 2. He says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, 
Go to Nineveh, that great city, and do what? Call out against it. Why? For their evil has come up before me. It is meant to be encouraging to you and to me today, just like it was meant to be encouraging to Jonah then, that God was not oblivious to their evil. He didn't say, hey, get up, go to Nineveh, because it's a really great place to vacation. Right? God, God knew just how evil Nineveh was. And, and, he, and he, he used that, as you used the analogy before, it, it was raising up like stink from a trash heap. Their, their evil has risen up before me. It's really bad. And that actually should have been reassuring to Jonah that God wasn't distant, that Jonah could trust God, that God knew just how bad it really was. And he wasn't ambivalent to it. He wasn't ignoring it. God, God wasn't saying, you know, no, Nineveh's not so bad, and I'm okay with all this bad stuff going on. God, God said, that stink has risen up to me. God's not ignoring evil in the world. He's not oblivious. He's not clueless. He's not distant and uncaring. Those, those little words were actually meant to be reassuring, I think, to Jonah. Nineveh, they're, they're greatly evil, but I want you to go. I'm going to send you. Go. I'm going to be with you. God sees the evil in the world. He's, he's not passive. Don't get any ideas. Don't get nervous. Don't, don't get confused. And you look around. You see the evil in the world around you today. It's, it's actually meant for us to see that God is caring. He does see the evil in the world around us. He's aware of the evil in the world. His heart is opposed to evil. He's not unfeeling. He sees evil. He does something about it. We look around, we see the evil seems to be rampant, it seems to go unpunished. The good news is that God says that all evil will one day be punished. And so in that, knowing that he sees evil, knowing what he says about evil in the world, that, that one day he will make all things right, he will punish all evil, there is no unjust who will not go, who will go unpunished. That's, that's meant to give us reassurance. There's something inside each and every one of us that is good that wants to see evil be punished. We want to see justice done. I think there's a kernel of that that's God-given. I say kernel of that because often we can be like Jonah and want to say, like, get him, God. You know, you ever feel like that towards people? Um, but we're made in God's image and his likeness, and so he created us with this innate hatred of evil. Anything that's against his character and nature is meant to bother us. When people murder when there's rape and abuse. It's, it's meant to bother us when there's hatred and violence and all kinds of evil. It's, it's meant to bother us. It's, it's good to defend the helpless. It's good that we... Get upset when there is evil. It's right when we want to revolt against it and want to stop it. That at the same time, Jonah would have been aware of verses in Psalms, like Psalm 145, 20, where he says, The Lord keeps all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. So as God is speaking to Jonah, he says, I've seen the evil in Nineveh. Jonah was a prophet. He would have been very familiar with the words that were written before him in Psalms, and he would have been very familiar with this idea of the, the Lord keeps all who love him, but the wicked he'll destroy. And Jonah forgot that God is the righteous judge. God is the one who righteously judges evil. Sometimes we need to remember that. God is the one who righteously judges evil. Don't assume that we are the righteous judges. That was one of the mistakes that Jonah made in the book of Jonah. He assumed he knew what was right and good. He assumed... What they really deserved, what they really needed was judgment. Instead of trusting that God will destroy the wicked and God will keep those who love him. 
close to the beginning of the very book of Psalms. And in the very beginning, Jonah couldn't have missed this verse. In Psalm 1.5, it says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. I think we're meant to take from that that this is not just a one-time promise, but this is a one-time forever kind of promise that in the end, ultimately, the wicked won't stand in the place of judgment, that, that God will bring all the wicked down before him in judgment. He'll, he'll make them bow down. They won't rule. They won't reign. God will make all things right, and then eventually he'll remove all sin from the assembly of his people. When God told Jonah that he saw the evil in Nineveh, he should have remembered Psalm 121.7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Or maybe in Psalm 46, 1, he says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Those scriptures should have reassured Jonah. It should have been a reassurance to Jonah when he said, God smelled the evil. He, he knew the great evil, and he was calling Jonah to go anyway. But sometimes evil can make us doubt. I think, I think Jonah doubted God. It's pretty obvious. Jonah doubted God. He doubted God's goodness. He doubted that God really judges evil rightly. He doubted that God had good intents. And what he said in, in chapter 4 was, I knew that you would let these bad people off because he did not trust that God's judgment was just and true and right and good. How about us? Do we trust God's answer to evil in the world? Do you trust that God knows best and how to take care of evil? Do you trust that God is going to judge evil? Do you trust that God knows best how to address the problems in the world today still and that the answer might not be what we think it should be? I think we're meant to see God's heart in that. We can trust God. We can trust that he sees. He's not oblivious. And we can trust God in the midst of those things. The second thing I think we see in God's heart all throughout the book of Jonah, this is not a surprise, is that God is gracious and merciful. All throughout the book of Jonah, we see that God is gracious and merciful time and time again, all throughout Jonah. In the very beginning, he goes to Jonah and, and his commission to go to an evil place, that alone was gracious and merciful. Even if they did not respond, it would have been God's grace to say, hey, look and see that you're, you're going to be wiped out. That's God's grace to warn them at all. God didn't have to warn the Ninevites. Their sin warranted wiping them out without any warning. God doesn't have to make people alive to him, but yet he does. God is gracious and merciful. He's patient and merciful. Look at the pagan sailors. They were just minding their own business. Jonah could have gone to another ship where people had heard of God. Jonah could have gone anywhere to, to a ship, but yet God put him on a ship where these pagan sailors did not know the Lord. They, they, they didn't even know to tell Jonah, hey, the name of your God, until after Jonah told them about the name of their God. He said, perhaps the God, perhaps your God, perhaps this unknown person that they've not heard of. And God was gracious to put them in the midst of a storm and a trial so that they could be brought to see him. He put Jonah on the right ship at the right time to rescue those clueless sailors who weren't seeking him. And, and, and then look at what God does in, in the... And their response, I mean, his response to the sailors. In Jonah 1.14, it says, Therefore they called out to the Lord. They saw how great and mighty God was. They saw the storm. God brought the trials. They called out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. If you, Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him to the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. God cared enough about the sailors to not let them succeed on their own, to, to frustrate their ways. And for, for a lot of us, that's how God brought us to himself, right? Is that God frustrates our ways. He frustrates us. He, he brings us to this low place where we can see that we can't do anything on our own. We can't row back. And God draws us to see that he alone can save. Our situation is hopeless apart from him. God brought them to a place of utter dependency and desperation, so now they see their need for him, and God moved nature and carries out his plans. He was merciful and gracious through trials to send the troubles to turn them to him. And then he was merciful to Jonah. And like we said before, if, if you were our God, we'd probably have been like, Jonah, fine, you're done. We're going to throw you overboard, and that's it. Maybe we'll spare your life, but we're not going to give you another chance. But it says in Jonah 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Passages like that are meant to remind us, what's your story? What has God called you out of? How has God been merciful and gracious to you? I know that for me, I grew up in a Christian home, and you've probably heard my story if you've been in the church for any period of time, that I grew up in a Christian home. I, I had God's word constantly fed to me when I was young. You know, I, I might not have understood issues, that it was that issues were in my heart, that I needed to respond to God internally, that, that the sin was in my heart, but, but I still heard God's word, and I should have known better. I was held accountable for that, and, and I, I claimed to follow God, and yet then I walked away from God. In, in my high school, junior, senior year of high school, I rebelled, I disobeyed God, and yet God was merciful to ask me a question and say, what are you doing to arrest me and to call me back to him? And then time and time again, I, I've failed. I've, I've not obeyed. Time and time again, I've, I've failed, I've been foolish, I've not obeyed. How about you? You ever fail? Anybody ever fail in your Christian walk? I've despaired, and I've said, God, just kill me. You ever? And that sounds like something terrible to admit, but honestly, I think that's a lot of us. We want to just die at times. I can't do this anymore. I'm too weak. I'm not able. I'm, I can't change. There's a period of my life when I saw that I just can't stop sinning, and I, no matter what I try, I can't stop sinning. I was so discouraged and depressed because I couldn't stop sinning. And God was trying to get me to see, yeah, that's, that's the truth. That's reality. You need to see that you can't row hard enough to get back to me, that you need to see that the great Matt can't save himself, only you can, only I can save you. And so God brought me back to himself. And time and time again, my own testimony is that time and time again, God's been gracious and merciful. I've doubted God. I've disobeyed God. I've been unfaithful. Um, I've, I've been the biggest hypocrite I can think of in so many areas of my life. I pro proclaim and profess great faith in God, and yet the next day on Monday morning, I lack all faith in God. And I don't know about you, but I, I think those times are meant to keep us humble and say, God, it's not about us. It's not about me. Lord, it's about your great mercy and grace. It's about your kindness, your compassion. Lord, my confidence is not in my ability to keep myself. My confidence is not in my witness. My confidence is, is not in my own strength. My confidence isn't in my words that I take to evil people. My confidence is not in those things, but Lord, I hope my trust is in your mercy and grace. 
I think we're meant to stay there. Jonah was meant to see God's mercy and grace. I, I love the, the huge example of God's heart of mercy and grace seen in his response to the Ninevites. It says in Jonah 3, 5, the people of Nineveh believe God. Unbelievable, by the way. How could these people who've never heard about God personally, just one time, God made them alive. He says, they believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth. From the greatest them to the least, the word reached the king of Nineveh. He responds. And then down in, in, in verse 9 of chapter 3, says, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They didn't have great faith. They had a little bit of mustard seed. Who knows? Your faith ever been weak like that before? This little mustard seed of faith. Who knows? God, would you save me? And yet God in his grace and his mercy he responds to this mustard seed of faith. Who knows, God may turn and relent. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he said he would do to them. He did not do it. And then Jonah himself, he, he quotes from Moses when, when Moses said, God, would you show me who you really are? Show me what you're all about. Jonah quotes from Moses in Exodus 34, verse 5, says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And Jonah used that to say, This is God why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because I, I knew you were slow to anger, abounding love. And, but yet he, he conveniently left out the second part of that passage, which is actually the reassurance of the first point we just talked about, that God judges evil. Let me show that to you in Exodus 34, 7. It says, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Oh, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Jonah, Jonah was okay with it, his, his own sin being forgiven, but not, not thousands of other people's iniquity and transgressions and sins. And then he wasn't trusting the other part of the verse. says, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, children's children to the third and fourth generation Moses' response here we see in verse 8 was, and Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. Why? Because God wasn't like him, and God was gracious and merciful. God's heart throughout the Old Testament has been revealed. He's had so much patience and grace in dealing with his own covenant chosen people. Time after time again, the Israelites, they rebelled. They failed. Jonah knew that. I think, I think we know that. Time and time again, what, what about, how about you? You ever fail? You ever been faithless? You ever disobey, been hypocrite like me? You ever been fickle, self-righteous, forgotten God? In the end, God says to Jonah in Jonah 4, 9, he says, but God says to Jonah, do you well, do well to be angry for the plant? He says, yeah, I do well to be angry. I'm going to have to die. It's one of the funniest and most brutal verses there is. Because it's us. We, we think, God, you, you're not just. You're not good. You're not gracious and merciful because it's not my way. And the Lord says, you pity the plant for which you didn't labor. You make it grow. It comes into being a night. Perish night. Should I not pity none of the great city? It's more than 120,000 persons who don't know the right hand from the left and a lot of cattle too. You see, Jonah missed God's heart. Don't miss God's heart in the book of Jonah. Jonah missed God's heart. And then I think Jonah shared the fact that he missed God's heart with us so that we would not miss God's heart in the book of Jonah for the lost. We would not miss God's heart that he doesn't just put up with evil. 
He's aware of it. He does something about it. He's gracious and compassionate. He forgives. He won't let evil go unpunished. He saved his people Israel. Think about it. Abraham was called out of Ur of Chaldees. Abraham wasn't a follower of God. He wasn't looking for God. God called him out of pagan moon worshipers. God saved Jonah. God still was gracious and merciful during the reign of Jeroboam II and who said that he was greater, did greater evil than his father before him did. How's God been gracious and merciful to you? Count the ways. I mean that really. Count the ways. Think about every little way. Do you, do you have breath right now? Can you think? Can you hear? Can you see? Maybe however feebly, can you walk? Is there anything good in your life? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above with whom there's no shadow of turning. God's grace and his mercy are meant to affect us. Do we have a heart of grace and mercy to others? Do we have the Father's heart? Do we see the Father's heart of compassion? It doesn't inspire us to have a heart of compassion to others. The third and final thing we're going to look at is that God sends his servants to proclaim his judgment, his grace, his mercy. That's his heart. His heart is that our, it got, his mercy would not be kept to ourselves, but we would share his grace and mercy with other people. That's God's heart. God's heart is one that he doesn't just put up with evil when, with no good cause. He will, by all means, punish evil, but he is gracious and compassionate, and he sends us to call people to respond to his grace, to respond to his compassion, to respond to his mercy. He commissioned Jonah, and Jonah runs. He sought his own comfort. He didn't have God's heart of compassion. He was complacent. He sleeps in the bottom of the boat when the sailors needed him to call on God. They didn't, he didn't call on God even then. They were the enemy in his mind. He didn't want to go to the people of Nineveh. They were God's hated people in his mind. They had a much-deserved reputation for being evil sinners, and Jonah's mistake was that he thought he was righteous. Yes, we live in a fallen world. Yes, we live with a world that's so messed up and in many ways is, resembles the Ninevites. Jonah made the mistake of thinking that he was deserving of mercy, and they weren't. How about you? How do you respond to the people around you who are dying? They may not be physically dying, but your coworkers around you, they're dying. People in the school around you, they're dying. It's a slow death, but it's a sure death. How do you respond when the people around you in your neighborhood, how do you respond when people of that party or that group or that ethnicity or that country, they are not like you, they don't look like you, they don't act like you, how do you respond? He thought he was deserving of mercy and they weren't. But here's the really cool news in Jonah. Even though he was disobedient, God wasn't finished with him. That's good news for me. That's good news for you. Even though all of us have been disobedient to God's call to go in some way, we all have. Let's own it, right? Let's own that. Let's not pretend. But here's the hope. God still sends disobedient people and says, okay, the word's coming again. I'm going to send you again, and I want you to go. And then even after that, Jonah was having a bad attitude, being angry with God. God still didn't wipe Jonah out. God was still gracious and merciful to, to take time to talk to Jonah and to draw him back to himself. He was gently correcting him. Jonah, are you sure, you sure you're being angry for the right reason? You know, your neighbor that you don't want to go and talk to about God because they hate your kids, is that, 
are, are you sure you're angry for the right reason? You know, when people at school, they mock you, they make fun of you, and you don't want to go to them because you want them to get what they deserve. Is that right? Even after his disobedience, God was not done with him. Even after he got it wrong, even after he responded, then responded badly, he was self-righteous, even after he, he went and preached, and then he did a bad job, and then God wasn't done. And here's the other really cool thing, is that the word that he gave to Jonah wasn't really lengthy. It wasn't this huge word. It wasn't a really difficult word. He gave Jonah a simple word. He says, you know, yet after 40 days... Your city's going to be overturned. Now, he might have said more than that. He probably did. That was probably a summation. But what really got to people was that, that God is going to judge you, and he's going to change you. He's going to overturn you. He's going to overthrow you. You need to respond. He gave a simple word. But what a privilege it was that Jonah got to be a part of God's plan, even if he didn't realize it. You see, God had always been about it. Ever since he called his people, ever since he called Abram, and he said he's going to be the father of many nations, that wasn't just the nation of Israel, and that through the nation of Israel, all the nations of the world will be blessed. They've forgotten that. Sometimes as Christians, I think we forget that through us, all the nations of the world should be blessed, or are meant to be blessed through us, all the nations of the world. And if we think about it, we really are maybe not even Jonah. We're a mixture of Jonah and the Ninevites. Because most of us are Gentiles. Most of us weren't a part of God's chosen people to begin with, and yet the word of God was preached and God showed mercy and grace to us. You want to make a difference in the world around you? You want to change things? It's, it's not going to be accomplished primarily through voting. It's not going to be pro- accomplished primarily through uh, good works. It's not primarily through all those things. God does use all of those means. They're common grace. But you know where primarily you want to make a difference in the world? Preach the word and watch God work. That's God's heart. Because he wants people to know his compassion and his mercy. Love in Acts 10, 42, it says, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judged of the living and the dead. That's what we're called to do. God's, God's not done with us. That's really good news. I... You know, if you've been a part of the church for a while, sometimes you can grow complacent. Sometimes you can grow comfortable. Let Jonah freak you out, okay? Let Jonah stir you up. Let Jonah challenge you, intimidate you. I don't want to be comfortable. I don't want to fall asleep. I don't want to be okay with just my own little bubble here. Jonah's written for me to respond to God's grace and mercy and to take the word that he's given to us because he's actually given us the same commission he gave to Jonah to go and preach. He calls us to go. I love that Aaron shared Matthew 28, that that great commission that we've all been given. That commission was given to all of his disciples. All of us are called to go and preach. It's not something for pastors alone. And and actually, primarily, our job is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. You're all ministers. All of us are ministers. And people in the world around us, they tell other people what they're truly passionate about, right? Right? If you were passionate about Clemson winning yesterday, which was good news because the first quarter did not look good, um, then you probably told somebody about that. You know, 
my, my wife was downtown with, with our kids yesterday, and uh, she was like, there's people wandering around. It was something like these little creatures they were trying to capture. I'm like, oh, man, Pokemon Go, that's still a thing? There's still people still wandering about trying to tell our people about Pokemon Go? Um, but, you know, it's crazy. People will tell strangers about Pokemon, and we, we're a little embarrassed and ashamed. We don't want to tell strangers about Jesus. Even the slightest intimidation. We think, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go. I can't do that. It's hard. And yet God sent Jonah to the Ninevites. God sent us to the Ninevites, the people today. God's not ambivalent towards evil. He takes action in response to evil. The solution to evil is for people to repent and to be saved by his grace and mercy. That's the solution for you and I, by the way. He conforms us to his image by the grace and mercy that is shown to us in Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to do to the world around us. He wants everybody around you to know the grace and mercy of God to be transformed and then conformed into the image of Jesus. And what a privilege we have that word. And we have a better word than Jonah. We have a better word because we preach the message of hope. But sometimes we don't preach the gospel because we run from God's calling. We want our comfort. But God cared too much about Jonah to let him go. And if we're honest, we're a lot more like Jonah. The idea of living in that self-indulgent, isolated utopia, that goes against the heart of God. It removes us from the very people God wants to show mercy to. You know, Jonah picked this unwilling, hesitant, overly patriotic man to go. Not, not to make him a part of the nation, but to make him a part of his people, the holy nation, the one that's in heaven, the, the, the kingdom that will never fade. You know, Jonah valued his own ideas and comfort above the Ninevites. He didn't have God's heart for the lost. And it ends with a question... It's meant for us. Should we not have compassion? Many Christians, we love the idea of going on a, on a mission trip, right? And, and mission trips can be good. We feel noble about ourselves. We go and we can, we can talk to people about, you know, about who God is. And then we come back and we tell about the living conditions there. And, oh boy, well, God really used us. And we talked to all these people and these other living conditions. And they were godless. They were backwards. And we went to help them. But then we don't like the idea of actually living next to people who don't have the same ideas, standards, or way of life that we do. And maybe they don't look or dress or eat or bathe or smell like we do. And we go to sleep in the middle of the storm. Do we have God's heart of compassion? Are we trusting that he sees the evil around it? He's, he's going to do something about it. And his solution is actually to show grace and mercy because that's God's heart. He calls us, by the way, sinful people. That's astounding, isn't it? He uses us or self-righteous. He has compassion on us. He didn't seek his own, but he came to seek and save the lost that we might, not be, that we might be saved and not lost. Mark 16, 15 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Should we not have mercy and compassion? The question for us is, I want us to be inspired by, to think about by Jonah, is how are we going? How are we responding? Do we have God's heart? Do we see God's heart? How will we respond today? I love that God used a simple word from Jonah to, to change 
of people, and you can use a simple word from us. I want to read to you from a little book. If you don't have this book, there's a few copies left back in the bookstore. It's called Man Overboard, the Story of Jonah by Sinclair Ferguson. He shares in here a great little story, and we'll close with this, and I'll have the band come up, and we'll respond to God. And he says, J. Edwin Orr records a moving illustration in his documentation of the Second Evangelical Awakening. Speaking of the revival in Northern Ireland in 19, 1859, he says, the townsfolk of Coleraine, the part of County Derry, close to the county Antrim Revival Centers, witnessed some of the most amazing scenes in the whole movement in Ireland. A schoolboy, under deep conviction of sin, seemed so incapable of continuing his studies that the kindly teacher sent him home in the company of another boy who had already been converted. On the way home, the two boys noticed an empty house and entered it, and they began to pray. At last, the unhappy boy found peace and returned immediately to the classroom to tell his teacher, I'm so happy I have the Lord Jesus in my heart. And this innocent testimony had its effect on the whole class. And then, boy after boy, slipped outside. The master, standing on something to look out of the window, observed the boys kneeling in prayer around the schoolyard, each one apart. The master was overcome, so he asked the converted schoolboy to comfort them. And soon, the whole school was in strange disorder, and the clergymen were sent for them. It remained all day dealing with seekers after peace, schoolboys, schoolgirls, teachers, parents, neighbors, the premises thus being occupied until 11 o'clock that night. On June 7, 1859, an open-air meeting was held on Fair Hill to hear one or two of the converts. So many thousands attended, it was deemed advisable to divide the crowd in separate meetings, each addressed by someone, a minister of one denomination or another, and the people stood motionless until the very last moment when an auditor cried out in distress. Even tax people, right? Several others likewise became prostrated, bewildering the ministers who having had no similar experience previously, scarcely knew how to help the distressed in soul and body. The clergyman spent all night in spiritual ministrations. When the sun arose, the following day was spent in likewise manner. And such began the second evangelical awakening. Sinclair Ferguson goes on to tell his own story. When I was almost 15 years old, I began to realize in a way I'd never done before that I stood in need of salvation. One winter evening, I walked home, and I slid in the snow beside a small elderly man. And under the dim light of the street lamp, I could see he was dressed entirely in black. After a moment's conversation, he said, Son, are you saved? <laughs> the words were like a knife in my soul. How did the man know that was my greatest longing in my life to know that I was a child of God? By these and other words, God guided me to his kingdom. I learned then that sentences are all God needs when his children have the touch of the Spirit on their lives. What hope and confidence inspires in our witness. So in this confidence, Jonah walked through the streets of Nineveh with his message. We may well imagine there were imperfections in his preaching, but he spoke with direct application to his hearers. He brought to Nineveh the message Nineveh needed to hear. He had been prepared for such a ministry because God had risen him up as a witness. God had spoken to Jonah the word that Jonah needed to hear. In his grace, he had also spoken to Jonah the word that Nineveh would later hear. He prepared him for the task Jonah had now at last discovered. In the words of John Owen, the word can only come with power to our hearers when it has come with power to our own hearts. Do you have God's heart of compassion? Do you have heart, God's heart of mercy? Then let's go and share God's heart with others. Amen? Let's pray, and if the band will go, we'll, we'll sing.